1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary Void were prohibited by law 18 plus Terms and conditions apply See website for details
0: The man in my basement takes one step closer every week Rules 1. He will begin in the furthest corner of your basement If you see him Do not overreact He may decide to move on 2. If the intruder decides to stay he will take one step closer each week three do not attempt to speak with him hurt him or get third parties involved 4. any violation of rule three generally results in several quick steps forward depending on severity of transgression five barricading the doors is acceptable this will slow him down but the process will be very loud difficult to sleep six to others the intruder will appear as a mannequin or a rubber dummy or a coat hanger etc Do not let guests near him. 7. The intruder will not move so long as you have guests in the house guests who actually want to be there once I had an old friend sleep on. The couch for 3 months and the intruder didn't move a step. 8. You can leave the house. But never sleep anywhere else. Never make plans to move even browsing for houses online etc. The importance of this rule cannot be overstated. General notes none of these rules are set in stone. The intruder seems to evolve and react depending on your actions. Personally, I recommend measuring the distance from him to the furthest corner of the house. Calculate how long it will take him to reach you. Set up your bedroom as far away as possible. Once established, do not move your bed. You must sleep there from now on. Please note that sometimes he will leave his station and wander up into the house. Do your best to ignore him. He will always return to the last place he left off. I had to laugh as I read the typo written list of stupid rules left on my doorstep. Likely conjured up by some neighborhood kid with too much free time props for the creativity though. Stepping back inside. I folded it up and tucked it away. Guess it was preferable to getting toilet papered. Slumping back onto the living room couch. I resumed watching the game. I just moved into the neighborhood. Owning a house of my own had been a life goal since 18. Now, after 15 years of working. Saving. And taking on crippling debt. I finally had a place of my own. Hooray! A killer deal on a modest 1982 story with a basement and a backyard swimming pool. The main floor was an open design kitchen, living room, and an entrance hallway that led to the upstairs. Upstairs was a short alcove with three doors master bedroom, guest room, and washroom. This house was the only thing in my lonely life I felt proud of. Something caught the corner of my eye. Across the living room, in the front entrance hallway the basement door was cracked open. A slit of pitch dark. Okay. I turned back to the TV. Probably forgot to close it earlier. Shaking it off. I focused on the game as much as I could. But the cracked open door lurked in my peripheral all the while. It almost felt like someone was watching me. Duck. I got up from the couch. Marched across the room. Pulled the door shut. And marched back. Embarrassed. I plopped into the couch and swung my feet up on the coffee table. Maybe that stupid list of rules was getting to me after all. Maybe whoever wrote it wasn't done messing with me yet. Knock. 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 I jumped at the pounding on my front door. Muting the TV. I begrudgingly got up. Hauled over. And yanked open the door. A smother and lawing man greeted me. Barely five foot tall. Round. And wearing a? Bright green Hawaiian t-shirt with matching cargo shorts? Vaguely reminding me of the Batman's penguin. Sir. He said. A forced smother in lao plastered to his face. Hello. I am so sorry to bother you. He looked down at my shoes. Studying. Someone's been. Leaving notes on the doorsteps out here and. Since you're new he looked up. Glanced back over his shoulder. Then back to me. I just wanted to warn you. This guy had more nervous energy than a cold turkey drug addict. Warn me about what. The smother in lao on his face turned grim. The notes. He said. Pausing for effect. There's a he searched for words. There's a mentally unstable young man in the neighborhood. Okay. His father he glanced back over his shoulder again. His father lived in the house across the street from you. An overgrown. One story box of a house. It almost looked abandoned. When his father passed. The son he looked back to me. Started writing notes leaving them on doorsteps around the neighborhood. I set my hand on the pocket where I'd tucked away the note. The son. If you see him. He's harmless. And the notes well. Of course. They're nonsense. He chuckled. I pulled the note out from my pocket. Yeah. I was wondering. I said. careful.
1: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
0: the unfolding the paper the man's eyes father and lulled with concern rule one i read aloud he will please he stammered i raised an eyebrow i have seen enough of those for a while he rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb they're harmless but also kind of he looked around again searching for words creepy I said. His eyes lit up. Yes. Creepy. What a great word. Creepy. He marveled. Weirdly impressed. I almost laughed. Anyways. He continued. I just wanted to let you know. Don't worry about the notes. They're ridiculous. Of course. Of course. Well? I best be up for the third time. He searched for words. Leaving. Yeah. He laughed. Wagging a finger at me. I must say you're really good with words. He shook his head like I just pulled off a magic trick. I try I said skeptically. Though he seemed sincere. Howie. By the way. He shot out his hand for a handshake. I recoiled. The pandemic was still in full swing. Oh. Of course. He said. Reading the room. He shook his head again. Still not used to it. It's all good. I am Brandon. By the way. Brandon. He smother-in-lawed again. And turned away. I stood there in the doorway. Watching him leave dumbfounded by the strange. Almost comical conversation. As he stepped onto the road. I stepped back into my house. And went to pull the door shut. I stopped short. Something caught the corner of my eye. About seven houses down sat a white hatchback car with tinted windows. Idling. I can't say why it grabbed my attention. But it did for some unknown reason. It felt out of place. Sinister even. Shrugging. I stepped back inside and pulled the door shut behind me. I collapsed back onto the couch. Duck. My team was losing. It was dark out when the game finished. 3-1 against me. Of course. I turned off the TV. Stretched up my arms. Pushed off the couch. And froze. The basement door was open again. Wide open this time. A few long seconds crept by. Until I finally stepped forward. I know I shut that door. I stopped at the top of the stairs. Below me. Everything faded into one inviting darkness. I flicked on the light. And an orange glow stuttered to life beige cream walls and scratchy carpet. The stairs went down about 20 steps. Then took a hard turn to the left I'd only been in the basement three times since moving. Nothing but unopened cardboard boxes down there. I pulled the door shut. And went up to my room. Crawling into bed. I flicked off the light. And closed my eyes. Maybe the door was broken. A bump in the night startled me awake. I checked the time 2:58 AM. Faint moonlight cast in through the bedroom window. Stacks of unopened moving boxes crowded my room like a cardboard metropolis. The night was silent. Still half asleep. I sat up onto the edge of my bed. Staring at the closet door a door that reminded me of my childhood bedroom a door that reminded me of an old friend a sliding door with fake cherry wood vinyl covering and something downstairs moved seven quick thumps creaking across hardwood floor clicking almost like dog feet only heavier i cursed under my breath fully awake now the reasonable part of my mind wondered if a raccoon snuck inside the less reasonable part of my mind wondered if it was satan himself I stood up from the bed and marched over to a stack of boxes in the corner. No way I was going down there without a weapon. Sliding a box off the top of a precarious tower. I turned back and placed it on the bed. Rifling through it until my hand grasped a famother and lawyer cold metal object. I pulled out a chrome-plated switchblade. The same one I had bought off my weed dealer back in high school. I flicked the knife in and out a couple times. That'll do. Knife in my back pocket. I stepped towards the doorway wrapped my grip around the smooth brass doorknob and pushed it open it was darker out here no windows upstairs i flicked on the light cold waiting room glow cast over everything at the bottom of the steps the basement door was still closed thank god i crept silently down the stairs one step at a time a faint smell hung in the air almost like burnt hair and gasoline almost moonlight cast in through the living room window Everything down here was quiet and still. Too still. Like the world was on pause. I scanned the living room. Empty. I stepped into the kitchen. Empty. Shaking my head. I pulled open the fridge. Old houses make strange sounds. I reminded myself. Pouring a glass of mother in law I took a swig and. The taste of foul-rot father-in-lawed my mouth. I spewed and spat back into the cup. What the hell? Rinsing out my mouth with tap water. I gurgled and spat until the bitter taste was gone. There's no way that expired already. I checked the date 6 days till expiry. Weird. I set it down. And wandered over to the living room window. Across the street. The neighbor's house was dark. I should have asked. Howie if the note leaving son still lived there. Based on what he said. It sounded like this kid needed professional help. Suddenly. A light snapped on across the street. Exterior. Left side of the house. Motion detector. Bluish glow revealed a cluttered and neglected backyard. Even more unkempt than the front. Moths flapped in desperate circles over the unnatural light. And then it went dark. I turned back to head upstairs. But stopped. My eyes caught the basement door again. Still closed. But something stirred within me this time. Morbid curiosity perhaps. I trudged over and pulled open the door. I flicked on the light and stepped down scratchy carpet clawed at the soles of my socks. I reached the stairwell corner. More darkness. A 15-foot hallway with doors on either side led to an open rec room. I flicked the next light switch. Nothing. Of course. I stood there for a good 10 seconds. Staring into the dark. The strange pull of curiosity only getting stronger. Begrudgingly. I pulled out my phone. Turned the light on. And moved forward. Stepping over boxes and clutter as I went. The strange smell from upstairs was even stronger down here. Like gasoline and burnt hair. Maybe there was a leak. I'd get that checked out tomorrow. Regardless. I pushed forward and stepped into the garage-sized rec room. Cold concrete against my feet. I scanned the phone light from left to right until. I froze. Stood in the back right corner was a coat rack post. For a second. It almost looked like a person. I don't own any coat racks. Somebody put it there. I felt sick angry. Somebody broke into my house and put a coat rack in my basement corner. Indignant. I marched forward. Yanked it off the ground. And stormed back upstairs. I knew exactly who did it to. The same person who left the note. Had to be. That was disturbing enough in its own right. Supernatural bullshit or not. Of course. Back then. The posy brother in lawdy of the note being a sincere warning never crossed my mind. I didn't even consider the chance that something unknown and terrible was about to enter my life and never leave at this point. I was convinced that a malicious trickster was trying to break my sanity. I am not the most stable of individuals. But it'd take more than a coat rack and a creepy note to do that. A lot more. I snapped the coat rack in half. Tossed it in the garbage. And sat up in the living room till morning. That week I installed new security and locks. If anything else happened, I'd get the police involved. Stupid rules be damned. Either way, I'd been through worse. In hindsight, dismissing the note might be the biggest regret of my entire life. I stood at the living room window. Waiting. Finally, the garbage truck pulled up to the curb. A heavyset man in a bright orange vis vest stepped off the side and spat dryly onto the pavement. He hoisted my garbage. Coat rack included. Into the back compactor. Joy. Climbing onto the truck. He unceremoniously tossed the aluminum bucket back onto the road. My relief vanished. Inside the bucket was a left behind. Foot-long splinter a lingering. Remnant of the coat rack. Bursting through the front door. I yelled after the garbage truck. And it lurched to a grudging stop. I forced a smother in Lau. Strode across the yard. Bent over reached into the can, grabbed the splinter of wood, and tossed it into the truck. The vis-vest man blinked disinterest towards me as they drove off towards the next house. The truck's compactor pressed down with a satisfying crunch. Goodbye coat rack. There was a strange comfort in it. As though the coat rack itself held some special power over me a power which. Upon its destruction. Had lifted. Strolling back toward the house. I caught myself smothering lawing Almost feeling happy. I wrapped my hand around the front doorknob. And a sharp pain shot up my wrist. My arm swung back like electric shock. Gritting my teeth. I turned my palm over a splinter about the size. Of a blood test needle was lodged in between my thumb and pointer finger. Ouch. I breathed in. Pinched the splinter. Yanked it out. And tossed it back over my shoulder. I stepped inside. As I pulled the door shut. Red smeared across the brass knob. I turned my hand over again. A thin line of blood trailed out from the puncture hole. Snaking down towards the tip of my thumb. Wrapping my other hand around the wound. I marched back towards the kitchen. Bandages were in a tray on top of the fridge. After I finished wrapping my hand up. I turned around. And leaned back against the fridge. Marvelling at how quickly my good mood had soured. All it took was a wooden splinter. But then another thought crept into my head. Part of me. The paranoid. Irrational part wanted to go back and find the splinter, take it out past city limits, and burn it just in case. I actually had to fight the urge to go back and do this. It's just a coat rack. I reminded myself. Nothing more. Nothing less. Either way, I took comfort in the new security setup. Alarms on every door and window big stickers advertising the system to any would-be intruders. I even checked every corner of the house, just to make sure nobody was hiding inside. Can't be too careful. Despite everything. I still hadn't fully processed the fact that somebody had taken the time and effort to break into my house and set a coat rack in the basement corner. Not steal anything. Not even move anything. Just set a coat rack in the basement corner. This simple fact stuck in the back of my head like a stubborn popcorn shell stuck between teeth. The worst. Hunched over my laptop at the kitchen table. I took a sip of bitter black coffee. Thanks to the pandemic all work was homework now. But that was fine by me. I preferred staying at home to just about everything else anyways. Typing away. I was finally falling into that ever-elusive zen state of work. Coding line after line until. My phone buzzed against the plastic vinyl tabletop. Unknown caller. I reached over and froze. Something told me not to answer it. Something told me to block the number. But I shook it off and answered regardless. Brandon. Said the voice on the other end. I couldn't tell if it was a question or a statement. Speaking, I am calling about the note. He continued. The one on your doorstep. He sounded young. Early 20s perhaps. Okay. Yeah. I was the one who left it there. I didn't respond I didn't know how to respond. Look. I know it's weird. Trust me. I know better than most. The thing here is to make sure you understand what's going on. To make sure you. Take it seriously. Does that make sense? I didn't answer. He sighed. Anxious? I know you think I am crazy. Shit. I might be. I just I need to talk with you in person. I. Don't call this number again. I said plainly. And ended the call. Setting the phone down. I leaned back in my chair and crossed my arms. Looking back. I regret my coldness here. But in my defense. I'd seen enough real life horror by then. I was pushing 40 and well acquainted with the crushing mundanity of real-life suffering. I had no desire to indulge in made-up nonsense. Knock. 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 My heart skipped a beat as the pounding at the front door continued. I slid back on my chair and stood up. Fist clenched. I marched across the room and yanked open the door there stood a young man. Tall. And dressed in a white shirt with black denim pants. Look. I am really sorry to be this persistent. But. immediately. I recognized his voice from the phone call. But I had to admit. His appearance was surprising. Until now. I imagined a weaselly looking Basement-dwelling internet troll but this guy almost looked like a low-key movie star. Young Marlon Brando vibes. Regardless. I didn't know what to say. He looked down. Kicking his feet awkwardly at the ground. He looked up. I just need 5 minutes. He said. I'll explain everything and never come back. His eyes were father-in-lawed with sincerity. Years of suffering hidden beneath a desperate mother in law I looked around other neighbors were mother-in-lawing about. A few glanced over. Concerned. I looked back to him. Fine. My voice dripped with skepticism. He looked back over his shoulder. Then back to me. We can't talk here. Let's go for a walk if that's alright. I consider myself a pretty good judge of character. And he didn't seem dangerous. He seemed worried. If anything. My curiosity was driving now. Overcast grey fell over the suburbs. We walked down the street. Side by side. Six feet apart. Silent. Our shoes scraped against concrete and the smell of outdoor barbecues lingered in the air. He looked back over his shoulder we were about four houses down from mine. First off he said. Looking forward again. I want to apologize. He slid his hands into his pockets as he walked. I don't really know the best way to approach something like this. And I am sorry for being so cryptic. I grunted noncommittally. Second. I really don't expect you to believe me. Unless I saw something firsthand, I wouldn't believe me either. He looked up at the clouds. And squinted as diffused sunlight cast against his face. The sky was spitting rain now. Invisible drops you only felt. Sporadic. Icy pinpricks against the skin. Maybe I am crazy. I don't know. He shrugged. My dad was, at least, that's what we all thought until he finally he trailed into silence. Anyways. I am getting off track. He said, running a hand through his jet black hair. Just, take it seriously for the first couple weeks, and see where it goes. If it's bullshit, then it's bullshit. I still wasn't quite sure what to say. At this point. I believed that he, believed. But that wasn't enough to change my entire worldview. That wasn't enough to start believing in sentient coat racks. All you can do is search for ways to slow him down. Invite people over as much as possible. Try to figure out if there's a way to stop him without breaking the established rules. I know there's the pandemic. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky?
0: Rent free. It should at least buy you some time. Who's living in your father's house? I asked with a directness that surprised even me. I I don't know. You don't know. He shrugged. I haven't been there since again. He trailed off into silence. Grimacing. He looked around as if the words might be somewhere close. I grew up here. He said. Changing the topic once again. My sister and I used to collect pine cones in the park. He pointed across the street. Park was a generous word for an empty lot with a couple of trees and a bench. We'd sell them to the neighbors he almost mother-in-lawed. Pine cones. With googly eyes glued on. Five cents a piece. He shook his head like a chill went down his spine. Look. You've just gotta take the rules seriously. I still wasn't convinced. You don't know who's living in your own dad's house. I persisted. Did you sell it? He stopped walking. And turned to face me. Don't try to understand this. Trust me. He rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. The more you try to make sense of it. The more you try to rationalize it only gets worse. Sounds like a death cult mantra. Sure. You have my number. Right? I nodded. If anything happens. You have any more questions? Call me. Anytime. Seriously anytime. 4 in the morning if you have to. I don't care. Okay. It's Mitchell. By the way just Mitch is fine too. He gave a little wave. Turned away. And strolled off down the street. Leaving me even more confused than before. Worse than that. Part of me was beginning to consider the posy brother-in-law that this might actually be real. A posy brother-in-law made all the more disturbing due to the fact I'd already broken nearly every single rule. Classic horror movie duck up. Either way. His sincerity was unsettling. By the time I got back home. It was already dark out. I stood at my front door. Rifling for my keys when. Brandon. A famother and lawyer voice called out from behind. I turned back to see Howie. Standing on the curb. I almost didn't recognize him at first. He wore a blue tracksuit with a blue pencil tucked behind his ear. And blue headphones wrapped around his neck. This guy really liked blue? Howie. I said. Neighbors kid spoke with you huh? He rested his hands on his hips. I nodded. What did he say? I shrugged. Same stuff as the note. Howie shook his head as if to say. I expected as much. Poor kid. He said. At least he'll stop bugging you now. Yeah. Just then. Beside the house across the street the outdoor motion light snapped on. Odd. Howie looked back to see what I was looking at. Through the cracks in the fence. A line silhouette stood up against the boards. It was hard to tell from this distance but it almost looked like somebody was standing there. Watching us. Peering through the fence cracks. Motionless. But the yard was father and lulled with junk. So it could have been anything. Howie turned back to me. Anyways. He started pulling up his headphones and turned away. Who's living there now? I said. Howie froze. Lowered the headphones. And turned back. Not sure. They never sold it. Nope. Not to my knowledge. So, It's empty. I've seen someone. Maybe a few someone's mother-in-law and about inside. Ever seen them outside. Howie tilted his head. Thinking. He clearly never paid much attention to it. I don't think so. But I got goldfish memory these days? He chuckled. Shrugged. Reached to put his headphones back on and. Oh. His face lit up. I've been stuck on this. He pulled a crumpled piece of paper out from his jumpsuit pocket and read a thin piece of metal which glows brightly when a current passes through. He looked up at me. Eyes father-in-lawed with hope. Eight words across. First letter F. Third letter L. The light across the street snapped off. And a light inside snapped on. Window blind shadows cast from inside as someone moved across the living room. A drifting silhouette. Brandon. Father-in-lawment. I said eyes still locked on the house across the street. Howie scribbled away. That's it. My god. That's IT. He sounded like he just won a thousand bucks. He looked up at me. You're brilliant. I looked back to Howie. Glad to help. Anyways. Said Howie. Enthusiasm suddenly gone. See you round. He pulled his headphones up and jogged away. I stood there. Watching the house across the street. The light inside was still on. But no more movement. I turned back to my door. And stepped inside. Pulling the door shut behind me. I strode into the living room and stood at the window. The house across the street was dark again. Okay. I pulled the curtains shut. And turned back for the kitchen. I sniffed the strange smell of gasoline and burnt hair lingered in the air still. Subtle. But unmistakable. I flicked on the kitchen light. And sat down at the table. And stared blankly at the wall. Harsh fluorescent glow vibrated against white stucco. I should get warmer light bulbs. Then another thought crawled into my head- a thought that was slithering around in my subconscious for the past few. Minutes. Mitchell. The dead neighbor's son. Did not put the coat rack in your basement. Of course. It's possible he did. But after talking with him. It seemed highly unlikely. And this raised another. Even worse question- who put the coat rack in the basement? Howie. Doubtful. Another neighbor. Possibly. The person or persons living across the. Click. The sound of a door popping open interrupted my thoughts. I looked back over my shoulder. Across the living room. In the front entrance hallway. The basement door was open. Just a crack. A thin line of darkness. Duck it. I marched upstairs. Grabbed my switchblade from the bedside table and stormed back down. Each footstep heavier than the last. Knife clenched in my left fist. I swung open the basement door and flicked on the light. I am armed. I said. Trying and failing to sound like a threat. If anyone's down there. Make yourself known. Now. Silence. Nothing but the hum of a buzzing light bulb. I took a deep breath. And exhaled. Okay. I whispered. Taking a slow step forward. I used to mock people in horror movies for always going down into the basement but. In the moment. It weirdly felt like my best option. It was that. Or leave the house. Or try to sleep. Try to sleep while knowing that someone might be hiding in the basement. Call the cops. Tell them I found a coat rack that didn't belong to me. Most cops don't even have the time to worry about stolen cars. Let alone misplaced furniture. None of these choices were appealing. I reached the first stairwell and stopped at the first corner. Somehow, the hallway seemed darker than before. I flicked the light switch. Warm. Glow cast over all. The light wasn't working last time. I stepped forward. The mother in lawyer smell of burnt hair and gasoline was getting stronger the short walk down the hallway feeling like eternity. Finally. I stepped into the rec room. Both corners were empty. Breathing relief. I felt blood rush into my face. Once again. Embarrassed by my own paranoia. Embarrassed by my fear. I pocketed the switchblade and turned back when. Something caught my eye. In the far right corner. Behind a stack of cardboard boxes water. A thin layer of surface tension. Slowly spreading across the shiny concrete floor. Duck. They never said anything about leaks when I bought the place. I crossed the room and squatted down. There were scattered clumps of wet dirt too. No obvious source for the leak. Strange. The circle of water slowly expanded outward. I stared into it. And my crystal clear reflection stared back. I needed a haircut. Drip. My face rippled as a single drop fell from above. Of course. I looked up. Drip. Nothing but pink insulation and 2x4 beams up there. Could be a faulty pipe. I thought. Might explain the weird smells too. Bang. A door slammed shut. Upstairs. Around the corner. The basement door slammed shut. I jumped to my feet. And whipped out the switchblade. Then. Before I could process what happened. Everything went dark pitch ducking dark the kind of dark that makes everything sound like it's right next to your ear the kind of dark that makes your thoughts visible i fumbled for my phone but it clattered onto the floor duck i dropped to my knees flailing in the dark sliding my hands across the cold smooth concrete desperately searching searching for the light all the while the smell of burnt hair growing stronger no phone Only concrete. Concrete and cardboard boxes. Duck. 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 Panic rose inside my chest like a swelling balloon. Threatening to burst right through my rib cage. I froze. I breathed in. I breathed out. I breathed in. I breathed out. The panic stopped growing. It didn't get worse it didn't get better. It merely held in a state of pure survival mode. I could work with that. Clenching my eyes shut. I rose back to standing. I didn't even know which direction to go anymore. Following my gut. I took a step. Forward. Another step. Another. Up ahead. Seven quick thumps staggered down the staircase and slammed against the corner wall. Silence. Deafening silence. A sliding sound scraped against the drywall as if something rose to standing. A sickening chill went down my spine. My hand clenched tight around the switchblade. You have about three ducking seconds. I said, once again failing to sound like a threat. 3 seconds went by. 5 seconds. 10. Only silence. The sound of my own panicked breath and silence. Duck it. Knife pointing forward. I rushed ahead. Screaming my best attempt at a war cry as I flew through the dark. Running faster and faster until my ankles caught against the first step. And I sailed forward. Slammed chin first into the corner stairwell. Swiping and flailing the blade like a madman all the while. The light snapped on. I squinted as my eyes adjusted to the sudden brightness. Flat on my ass. Backed into the corner of the stairwell. There was nobody here. I looked up the stairs nothing. I looked down the hallway I froze. Stood in the rec room center. Shattered splinters held together with nails and wire. The coat rack. Thus far. I'd broken nearly every single so-called rule. One he will begin in the furthest corner of your basement. If you see him, Do not overreact. He may decide to move on. I am guessing that snapping the intruder in half and throwing him into a trash compactor counts as an overreaction. 2. If the intruder decides to stay, he will take one step closer each week. Based on my math, I had about 264 days to go until he reached my bedroom. Probably sooner, since he seemed to be moving faster now. 3. Do not attempt to speak with him. Hurt him. Or get third parties involved. I snapped him in half. And threw him in a trash compactor. 4 Any violation of rule 3 generally results in several quick steps forward depending on severity of transgression. That would explain why he's already in the center of the rec room. 5 Barricading the doors is acceptable. This will slow him down. But the process will be very loud. Difficult to sleep. I might do this when the time comes. Earplugs and white noise to sleep over the sound. 6 To others. The intruder will appear as a mannequin or a rubber dummy. Or a coat hanger etc. Do not let guests near him. I don't even want to think about this one right now. 7. The intruder will not move forward so long as you have guests in the house guests who actually want to be there once. I had an old friend sleep on the couch for 3 months and the intruder didn't move a step. I have no friends. Not anymore. 8. You can leave the house. But never sleep anywhere else. Never make plans to move even browsing for houses online etc. The importance of. This rule cannot be understated. Okay. From there on out. I'd follow the rules until I thought of something better. Two sleepless nights crawled by until I finally built up the courage to go back downstairs. I needed my phone. Down the basement hallway. In the center of the rec room. Stood the coat rack. Just behind it. My phone lay face down against the concrete floor creeping forward i averted my eyes it's only a coat rack i reminded myself nothing more nothing less sliding into the wreck room i pushed my back up against the wall and glanced towards the coat rack immediate regret followed nails and wires were snaked around mangled shards of wood if the coat rack was a substitute then what did the actual intruder look like now an image flashed through my mind the image of a gaunt man with a carnival smother in law held together with nails and wire. Creepy. I shook it off. And leapt forward. Snatching my phone. I scrambled away. And hauled up the stairs. I could almost feel the hands of nothing. Chasing me from behind. Ever stretching arms desperate to pull me back into the dark inching closer and closer for my ankles as I bolted up the stairs. I slammed the door shut. Pressed my back up against it. Breathing heavy. I slid down to the floor. It's just a coat rack. I told myself again. But the words rang empty now. Like a parent telling a frightened child there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing hiding under the bed. When really. They both know. There is. There's always something hiding under the bed. But it's not the long-toothed monster you imagined as a child. It's not the boogeyman. It's a feeling. A hidden feeling that you can't accept because you don't even know what it is. So instead. You pretend it doesn't exist. A vague and festering obligation you keep pushing back and back and back. Always lurking just out of sight hiding in your peripherals. Sometimes. You even catch a glimpse of it. Lurking in the corners. Only to look and find. Nothing. So. You shrug it off. You turn back to your phone. Your booze. Your. Knock. 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 Pounding at the front door. Whatever happened to doorbells? I got up. Slinked over. And pulled it open. There on my doorstep. Just as I expected. Stood Howie. Brandon. He said. Wearing an oversized smother and lao. And an oversized white hoodie with blue. Baggy sweatpants. Howie. I said. Fighting back the ever growing pull of sleep deprivation. Sorry to bother you so early. It's just he paused. Looked over his shoulder. Then back to me. There's been a few break ins around the neighborhood. Last night. And. Were you hit? I shook my head. No. Fortunate. Behind him. In the driveway across the street. Sat a red Kawasaki motorcycle. The first time I'd seen a vehicle over there. Anyways. Said Howie. See you round. He turned to leave and. Howie. He stopped. Turned back. Did you know them? I asked. Still watching the house across the street. Mr. Carver. A little. He ran a restoration thing. Fixed up our basement after a flood once a nice man. But. Quiet. He didn't even want a funeral? I nodded. Howie's mother-in-lawed sadly. And turned away. Anyways. Be safe out there. He strolled off. Humming to himself as he went. Pulling the door shut. I turned back inside. I took my phone out and. The screen was cracked spider webbed. Should've bought a case you stupid idiot. I dialed the tone rang out a couple times until hello mitch carver and i met in a diner on the edge of town a 2010s diner trying way too hard to look like a 1950s diner seriously every single greasy spoon cliche in the book movie posters plastered the walls all the waitresses wore those blue dress uniforms and the grill of a turquoise cat otter and lolak hung over the bar classy red leather booths were lined up against the windows I sat there, staring blankly outside. Out across the highway sat abandoned middle class suburbs. For close 12 years back. Graveyards of the 08 market crash. The ever present drone of highway traffic reverberated in the air. Mitch sat across from me. He wore a leather jacket and a ball cap his eyes distant and quiet. You don't count as third party? I asked. Mitch eyed me. Confused. The rules. No third parties. I said. He shook his head. No. Why not? Already a believer. Studying him, I took a sip of bitter black coffee. He still seemed sincere. But trustworthy. I wasn't sure. Why does belief matter? I don't really know yet. He said. Leaning back in his seat. He glanced back around the diner. Almost like he was expecting someone. He turned back to me. Suddenly serious. You need to tell me what happened. Excuse me. You said on the phone. Something happened that changed your mind. I raised an eyebrow. I hadn't told Mitchell about my rule breaking for several reasons. Mainly, I didn't want to set him off. For all his sincerity. Mitch did not seem like the most stable of individuals. Not that I blamed him. Especially considering his life circumstance. Why are you helping me? I said. He looked out the window. His eyes flicking back and forth as traffic sped by. He turned back to me. I killed my dad. He said. I mean not literally but it's my fault he died. He weighed over his next words carefully. The traffic outside slowly droning ever louder. Like a rising tide. Mitch. Continued. The last few years of his life. Nobody believed him. We all thought he was. Crazy. But he never talked about it straight up. He just left notes. Sometimes you'd go home after a visit and find one tucked away in your shoe. He cleared his throat. The notes were always about this person. Hiding in his house. How they were literally trying to scare him to death. The front door chimed open. Mitch tensed up and glanced back over his shoulder. A famother and lawyer four shuffled inside he relaxed and turned back to me. I just want to make sure what happened to him doesn't happen to anybody else. He leaned back in his seat again hands wrapped tight around a cup of untouched coffee. Fair enough. Look. Said Mitchell. If you broke the rules once even twice. That's fine. But you need to tell me what happened. I nodded slowly. Took a deep breath. And. I snapped the coat rack in half. Threw it in the trash compactor. His eyes father lulled with shock. A shock he immediately repressed. Like a doctor trying to act cool in front of a patient with horrific test results. And it came back the next day. Yeah. Held together by nails and wire. Mitchell nodded. How much further ahead was it? The front door. Chimed open again. But this time he didn't look back. About 10 steps from the corner. I said. Mitchell nodded. Again trying to act like it was all good when it clearly wasn't. Another question dawned on me. Why does it look like a coat rack? Am I a guest in my own house? Mitchell shrugged. None of the rules are set in stone. Did you buy the place with your own money? Yes. Well? Sort of. Mortgage? Yeah that shouldn't. Mitch. A voice from beside us cut into the conversation. An older man. Wearing a brown leather jacket and carrying a red bike helmet. Tall. Wiry. And in need of a shave Clint Eastwood vibes. Mitch. Where've you been? He said. Voice strained with sadness. Mitch looked away. Acting like the man wasn't even there. Mitch. He said again. Voice almost shaking now. I turned back. Mitch stared down at the coffee in his hands. His reflection rippled in waves of highway traffic rumble. His eyes were wet. Mitch pleased the man leaned forward slightly. I've been looking everywhere for I've a stranger trailed off into silence and stepped back. He looked at me. His eyes were father-in-lawed with years of suffering. He reached into his coat pocket, produced a card, and placed it face down on the table. He looked back at Mitch one last time. I am always here. kid he smother and lawed grimly. Then turned away and wandered back towards the exit. Hands on the door. He stopped and looked towards us. He opened his mouth to say something but. He turned away. Pushed outside. And stepped down into the gravel parking lot. He crossed the lot and climbed onto a red Kawasaki motorcycle. Then. He looked back at me through the window. Smother and lawing sadly. Suddenly. His eyes lit up. Darted back and forth for a couple seconds then snapped back to vacant apathy. Almost like someone had crawled into his mind. Taken a quick look around. And jumped back out. Eyes back to sadness. He rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. Pulled on his helmet. Revved up the engine. And sped off. Mitch. I said. Still staring out the window. The realization of who that might have been was slowly dawning on me. It's not him. Said Mitch. Not anymore. I turned back. "Mitch." Handshaking, took a sip from his coffee and set it down. You wanted to know what happens when it reaches you. He threw up his hand as if to say. Wish granted, I didn't fully understand what he meant by that. But right now wasn't the time to push Mitch looked on the verge of tears. Reaching across the table, he grabbed the card the man had left behind and handed it to me. I turned it over, and read. Carver Restoration Renovation Owner P. T. Carver. Mitchell's father. Leg in a blue cast. I hobbled across the street on crutches. 49 hours had passed since I fell down the stairs and saw the intruder in the basement. Or at least. Saw his hands. Regardless. Enough was enough. I needed a concrete plan and concrete answers to deal with. This. At this rate. The intruder would reach my room in weeks. Maybe even days. I still didn't even know what would happen if he got to me. But I sure as duck didn't want to find out. Time was short. I pounded on the neighbor's door and. Something inside moved. Through frosted windows. Down the hallway. The shadow of a door creaked open. Someone peered out. A blurry silhouette. I waved politely. They stood there. Watching me. Motionless. Then. They stepped back into the room and pulled the door shut. I raised my hand to knock again when. The front door swung open. There stood P.T. Carver. Dressed in blue jeans and a brown shirt looking even more Clint Eastwood-like than before. Brandon. He smothered and laud warmly. I opened my mouth to respond. But realized I didn't even know his name yet. Just the initials. Paul's fine. He stepped back from the door and motioned me inside. Paul. I propped forward onto my crutches and. Wait. He reached behind the door and produced a box of disposable light blue masks you don't mind. Do you? He put a mask on himself and handed another to me. I put the mask on. Getting too old to risk it you know. Said Paul. Stepping back from the door. And once again motioning me inside. As I stepped past him. His eyes dropped to the blue cast around my leg. What happened there? Stairs. Ouch. He shut the door. Despite the sunny day outside. It was dark in here. All the blinds were pulled shut. And everything was cast in shadow save for a couple low-energy desk lights. And thin beams of intruding sunlight. I looked around. My eyes adjusting. The interior of Paul's house contradicted my expectations. To put it mother and laudily. It felt like an old Wall Street corner office fancy stuff. Gold brass light fixtures in the ceiling. Varnished oak walls. With ornate patterns carved into the crowning. Expensive looking. Moody renaissance. Paintings up on the walls. Never judge a house by its cover, I guess. There was no upstairs, only the first floor, a couple bedrooms, and a door that led to what I assumed was a basement. A long hallway led to the back of the house, and I noticed the room which someone had peered out from the door was still shut. The air smelled like tobacco and vanilla. Not a bad smell. At least not to me. Tobacco scent always reminded me of my dad's house. Back when I was a kid. And still somewhat happy. I kicked off my shoes. And pressed my sock-covered feet against the floor. The carpet was out of place greenish-brown. Scratchy. Worn down to the plywood in some areas. Please. Paul motioned me towards the living room. I shuffled deeper into the house. Feel free to take a seat. Paul nodded towards a long. Green velvet couch. I slumped down. Immediate relief. Hobbling around on crutches was more tiring than it looked. Can I get you anything? Water. Coffee. I am good. Thanks. You sure? Water. No. Thanks. Paul sat down on a wooden stool across from me. A stool that creaked with antique strain. Unstable. Crossing his legs. He leaned against the wall. Studying me like therapist studying client. So. I took a deep breath and exhaled. Last night I saw him. Paul's face remained neutral he shifted his weight slightly. Saw who? The intruder. I leaned forward in my seat. What I saw has no reasonable. Hands. Barely human eye trailed off into silence. You take a photo. I shook my head. Good. Keep it that way. Why? He studied me carefully before continuing. You seen a doctor? No. He glanced down at the cast on my leg. Then back up to me. I rolled my eyes. Well? Yes. You tell him about. No. His face father-in-lawed with strange relief. He leaned forward and rested his elbows on his knees. Do not tell anyone else about this. Okay. Not even Mitch. You understand. Sure. Paul leaned back, reached into the chest pocket of his shirt and produced a cigarette. He pulled his mask down to his chin, lifting the smoke up to his mouth. He pinched it between thin lips, took out a pack of matches and a thump reverberated from somewhere deep inside the house. He froze. Raised an eyebrow. Silence. He shrugged. Struck the match and then another thump. Paul shook out the match and tossed it into an empty tin can sat upon a yellow plastic crate to his lefty side. Irritated. Excuse me. He stepped up. And marched deeper into the house. I watched as he rounded the corner and disappeared into the foyer hallway. More silence. Now, I was starting to wonder if coming over here was such a good idea to begin with things felt off. Sure. My initial meeting with Paul was. Surprising. To say the least. His long. Drawn out bear safety monologue was odd. But endearing. In a weird sort of way. But when Paul showed up at the diner. Mitch seemed truly disturbed. Like he'd seen a ghost. Or something even worse. Either way. I just wanted answers. And hopefully Paul would give me that. Hopefully. Right then. The sound of a door clicked open in the foyer hallway. It clicked shut. The faintest hint of a smell wafted into the room the recurring smell of gasoline and burnt hair. So subtle. It might have been imagined. Around the corner. Down the hallway. Muffled voices. Arguing. I tilted my head and strained to listen but. Sorry about that. Said Paul. Suddenly stepping into the room. No worries. With oddly pin-straight posture. Paul sat down on the couch across from me. A brown, velvet couch with old-timey drawings of farms and ducks that reminded me of a sofa at my grandma's house it's probably the exact couch you're imagining right now. The same couch I slept on after dad's funeral. Only I didn't really sleep. I just lay on my back. Staring at the ceiling. Thinking so that's it. Ha. You stop existing. And now everybody gets together and eats coleslaw and leftover turkey and that's it seems a little anticlimactic. You want answers huh. Paul struck up another match. He lit up the cigarette. And finally. Took a slow. Satisfied drag. He exhaled. The smoke lingered around him for a moment. Then slowly drifted back towards the dining room. Passing through beams of derelict sunlight. Why does Mitch think you're dead? Paul nodded. Expecting the question. Reaching over the side of the couch. He tapped the cigarette with his pointer finger small bits of glowing ash broke off and tumbled down into the tin can. Back when Mitch. And Evelyn. His sister. Were kids. I had some pretty serious health issues. Still do. Full disclosure. But I am medicated now. And that helps. He lifted the cigarette to take another drag but. Stopped short. Remembering something. He lowered it. After my parents passed away. I started to believe something was stalking me toying with me. He shifted uncomfortably in his seat. Started with small things at first. Bumps in the night. Food gone bad before the expiry date. Things too. Small to talk about. But too big to just. You know. Brush off. He met my eyes. Then looked away and took another short drag. I thought back to the expired mother and lock in my fridge one of many unanswered questions still festering in the back of my mind sporadically buzzing past my ear like a persistent mosquito. Infuriating. Paul sighed. I am a rationalist at heart so. The posse brother in laudy of something unnatural. He waved his hand like a magician. That never crossed my thoughts. He paused again. Glancing over at me. Judging my reactions as he spoke. Now bear with me. Cause all this leads to a point. He continued. One night, Back in 94. Maybe 93. The kids and their mom were fast asleep. It was Thursday so. I went down to the basement for canned peaches and a late night beer. He pointed down at the floor. The light was out. So I came back with a flashlight and he trailed off into silence. His cold blue eyes still locked on the floor. This time. Somebody was down there. Just standing there. Stood down the basement hallway with their back turned to me. I wanted to call out yell at them. Run upstairs. Get my nine mother-in-law. But, instead, I just froze. Like roadkill in headlights. Paul looked directly at me. That's when it hit me. I realized that this intruder, over seven foot tall by the way, he was halfway stuck into the concrete wall. Like the mold was set around him and dried there. Paul shook his head like a chill went down his spine. The sight was so strange. I couldn't even think straight. He leaned forward. And rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. A weird tick that suddenly stood out to me Mitch did the same thing. And so did Howie. Why? Things got. Really bad after that. The more I tried to fight it. The worse it got. The more I tried to make sense of things. He trailed off into a. Moment of silence. Course. Nobody else saw him. They just saw a stack of cardboard boxes. He paused again. Looking around the room. One night. Cold. Autumn night. I'd been dealing with this ever encroaching nightmare for weeks at that point. I downed two bottles of cognac and brought my nine mother-in-law downstairs. Marched straight up to him. He made a gun with his fingers and pointed at me. Pressed the barrel between his dead eyes and. Pulled the trigger. He mimed the motion of gun kick back and limply dropped his hand back onto his thigh. But he didn't even flinch. Bullet went straight through him. Ricocheted off the back corner and got me in the hand. He held up his left hand the pinky finger was cut off short at the first knuckle. I hadn't even noticed until now how did I miss that. Paul shook his hand like it went numb, and leaned back into his seat again. After that, Holly threatened to leave. Take the kids with her. He rubbed the side of his palm against his left forearm. Ruminating, I'd leave myself too. If I could. Then his eyes lit up. Remembering, let me show you something. Paul pushed up from the couch. He strolled towards the door I assumed led to the basement. I remained seated. After my last encounter with the intruder, I wasn't a big fan of stairs. Or basements for that matter. You coming. After noticing my hesitation, Paul looked back at me the same way my dad used to. Struggling to hide disappointment. Silent judgment. I cleared my throat. Grabbed my crutches. And pushed to. standing. Paul's mother-in-law a half-smother-in-law. Pulled his mask back up. And pulled a ring of keys out from his pocket. Humming to himself. He rifled through. Unlatched a key. And turned the lock. No dice. He relatched the key and went back to rifling. Still humming all the while. Meanwhile. I stood back about ten feet. Head turned. Eyes locked on the mysterious room at the end of the hallway. The door was shut. You live alone. Yes. Well. Yes and no. He unlatched another key and gave that one a try. No dice. An old friend lives in the room down the hall. I am the caretaker. Sort of. That's good of you. Yeah well. I owe them one. I considered asking more. Asking if they were a guest keeping the intruder at bay. But something told me to keep it to myself. Paul huffed. Unlatching a third key from the ring. Holding it up to his face. He studied it like a jeweler studies a suspect diamond. He brought it down to the lock pushed it in and turned finally the door clicked open third times the paul looked around searching for words the same way how he did shaking his head he tucked away the key and stepped down into the dark he flicked the light on cold fluorescent glow stammered to life concrete walls and wooden steps smothered in layers of dust paul looked back over his shoulder you good with stairs he said looking down at my cast covered leg I'll try." He nodded. Use the railing. Turning back, he stepped deeper into the basement. I hobbled over to the top of the stairs. The flight of steps seemed longer than expected. Like it went down one and a half stories. Instead of just one. Paul stood at the bottom. Another door in front of him. Though maybe door wasn't quite the right word. More like a bunker hatch. Metallic. And held shut with an arm-sized lever instead of a doorknob. I didn't want to go into the basement. But the weight of morbid curiosity compelled me yet again. Every single time. Paul gripped his hands around the lever. Braced himself against the wall. And pulled. His wiry arms flexed and strained as the lever slowly moved towards him. Gritting his teeth. Paul yanked harder and harder until finally. The lever gave way. Lurching backward suddenly. The metallic door itself shifted downward with an echoing clang. And clouds of dust particles burst out from the edges. Paul wiped his forehead with the back of his arm. Squat down. And grabbed the bottom of the door with both hands. Hoisting upward. He pushed the door into a vertical swing. It pressed flat up against the ceiling. There was nothing but dark ahead. Pitch dark. Paul crept forward. And silence followed. Five long seconds ticked by until a light flicked on. More cold. Stuttering glow. You good? Paul's voice echoed up the staircase. "Yeah." Yeah I am okay. I said. Stepping forward. Going downstairs on crutches was even more tedious than expected. The whole precarious journey took about three minutes until. Finally. I stepped into the basement. A long narrow hallway led to a two-way fork in the path. Dirt floors. Plywood walls. I've got an engineering slash construction background. Paul kept strolling forward. Built this place from the ground up. He stopped at the fork in the hallway and looked both ways, thinking. He looked left. He looked right. He looked left again he shrugged. Gotta be this way. He pushed forward. I followed. This basement's bigger than you'd think. He said. Rounding the corner. Another narrow hallway stretched about 20 feet until it reached another two-way fork. Paul kept walking. And I kept following. I put up these walls. Tried to build a maze around him. Slow him down. He chuckled. Rounding another corner. Then I put up the bunker hatch and he trailed off into silence. Rounding yet another corner. Why not build a bunker directly around the intruder? I asked. Paul looked back at me and cracked a grim smother-in-law. Tried that. And. Didn't work. He said. Eyes, father-in-lawed with a dark story. I didn't push any further. We entered a 10 foot by 10 foot room. Paul stepped into the middle and turned back to face me. This. My friend. Is the construction of a former madman. He looked around. Taking it all in. Holly left me half ways into me building it. He shook his head and spat at the ground. I don't blame her. He looked directly at me. Look. Kid. He paused. You want all this to go away. You want to stop having these encounters. Work on yourself. I blinked. Are you kidding me? Half shrugging he continued. I know how it sounds. But after Holly took. The kids and left. It really kicked me into gear. I stopped drinking. Got help. Professional help. Started taking meds. The right meds. And sure enough. All this went away. No more man in the basement. No more altered reality bullshit. I know it's the last thing you want to hear. But this. This thing it's all in your head. Or at least. It's mostly in your head. You don't think it's a little odd that my hallucinations match yours?" Paul nodded understandingly. What do you think set all this off? I shook my head. The note. Paul sighed. The note my son. Well meaning though he was. Left on your doorstep. I just wanted to leave now. I was tired. Everything was contradicting everything else. You ever heard of a tulpa? He reached forward and placed his hand onto my shoulder. I didn't respond. I just stood there staring at him blankly leaning forward on my crutches tulpas paul continued are these things that don't exist until you believe they exist the more you believe they exist the more they exist and the more they exist the more they conduct with you if i wasn't so tired i would have laughed okay look i am not saying that's what this is but it might be what this is sure mitch bless him he still thinks it's all real Thinks it got to me years back. Thinks it's controlling me now. Using me to trick others into worshiping it or something. He smother and laud sadly. It's a different story every time. Paul shook his head. All I can say is this. It's only as real as you let it be. And the only way to stop it is to figure out what's wrong with your life and fix that. Something upstairs moved three quick. Staggering footsteps. Paul glanced up at the ceiling. Then back down to me. Ignore the intruder and follow the rules until you've fixed your life, or until you stop believing it. Then, you take that coat rack out past city limits, and you douse it in gasoline. And you burn it. Okay. Okay. I said noncommittally. Finally. He pulled his hand off my shoulder. You need help. With anything. I am always here. You got booze problems. Money problems. Life problems. Anything. He said. His eyes father and lolled with sincerity. This thing. It really messes with your head. Makes it hard to know who you can trust. You know. Sometimes it feels like. It's almost. Jumping. In and out of people you know. Controlling them. But it's all in your head. His tone was shifting now. Almost sounding excited. Part of me wondered if the intruder was controlling him right now. Deriving twisted pleasure out of messing with me. I shook off the thought. And. Another thump upstairs. This time. Paul acted like he didn't hear it. I. I should go. I said. Stepping backward. Sure kid. Said Paul. Again almost talking to me like I was his son. I turned around. And as fast as I could without tripping. I crutched my way out of the basement maze. Up the stairs. And out the front door. Stepping out of Paul's house. I took a deep breath of fresh air. It felt like getting rescued from drowning. I exhaled relief. At this point, I didn't trust Paul or Mitch or even Howie. For that matter, nothing was stable. And everything was getting worse. I hobbled back across the street and my phone buzzed to life. I stopped in the middle of the road, pulled it out, and flicked on the screen. Squinting, I held it up to my face 27 missed calls. Mitch Carver. Of course.